Dr. Jason Garrett is the Managing Vice President of Clinical Development for Arosti. He graduated as valedictorian at the Texas Chiropractic College and earned a biology degree from Coastal Carolina University. After developing multiple practices for Arosti in Houston and San Antonio, Dr. Garrett moved into his current role where he trains new providers, evaluates current field providers, aids in business development and marketing, and trains physicians. And Dr. Garrett is my guest today. What's up, everybody? My name is John Campioni, and this is the Rock Tape Podcast. All right, I am sitting here with uh, Jason Garrett. Jason is the managing vice president and clinical develop of clinical development rather for Arosti. Jason, what's up? Hey, how's it going? Thanks for this opportunity. This is great. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time and uh, appreciate uh, you doing this. Uh, I'm very interested. Whenever we have someone who has you know, worked for a larger company and helped develop different practices. I think a lot of people, a lot of our listeners get a lot of great information about understanding, you know, what it takes to kind of develop a practice and some of the different nuances that come into that. So I'm excited to talk to you about that and get some information about that. But let's talk about you a little bit. Um, You're a chiropractor. You went to Texas Chiropractic College, Um, you know, uh, degrees in biology. You were top of your class uh, at chiropractic school and uh, traveled a little bit. And I'm basing that on, you went to coastal Carolina in South Carolina, I believe. And yeah. then, you went, then you went out to Texas. So kind of tell us what made you get into the healthcare realm and then what made you kind of go down that chiropractic route? Well, story's not too dissimilar. There's a few differences that I think, uh, one, I'd never been to a chiropractor, which was unusual for most people going to chiropractic school. Okay. I actually wanted to be a PT. And then I, when I was, Finishing my biology degree, I played professional soccer for a couple of years. Yeah. And I happened to meet a chiropractor and he's like, Hey, why do you want to be a PT? And I said, Well, I've been injured my whole life, had lots of rehab, and I just it's something I'm passionate about. I like to help people get better. And he said, Well, why don't you become a chiropractor? You know you can do all kinds of physical therapy and rehab, but you don't need a referral. Because this is back when PTs couldn't have direct access. Now most of them do. Back then, and I thought about it for a second, and I was like, Yeah, I don't typically take direction well from people, so I like to make my own. <laughs> And literally looked up online. I was from Houston. So I uh, looked up Texas Chiropractic School and called them up. And they're like, yeah, we can get you in the next class. We'll give you a book scholarship. And I was like, hey, great. But never been to a chiropractor. My first adjustment was actually the president of the school, who at the time was probably 80-some years old. And he was a real aggressive adjuster. He did the, uh, the condylar crane where he basically pulled your, pulled your head off the table to where your feet moved about two feet back. Like uh, the yeah, long axis one? Yeah. You grab your head and just pull back as hard as you can. That was my first chiropractic adjustment, and I realized, what did I get myself into? <laughs> um, but luckily, I, I stuck it out and you know, got through some of the stuff that wasn't necessarily philosophically aligned with what I wanted to do. But I realized at the end, I could still do what I wanted to do, deliver great care, and uh, really help people get better really quickly. That's so funny. That is exactly my story. I was, oh, really? you know, yeah, I was looking into PT and I met a chiropractor that, that went to uh, uh, my school, the school I eventually went to, which is where I grew up. And he said the same exact thing. It's like, you can have direct access to your patients. And that like working in PT for years before that, I was like, that's what I really want. You know, that's so cool to kind of see that. That's, that's a big thing is a lot of people don't appreciate the fact that, you know, we can get direct access, but still kind of be more in that musculoskeletal realm. You know, two chiropractors, chiropractor to chiropractor. Can you tell us some of the different philosophical things that you didn't necessarily agree with? I'm always interested to hear about that from some of my colleagues. 
Yeah, and I don't want to, obviously don't want to offend anybody. I was always much more scientifically directed. And so things like when someone said, I remember my first philosophy class, they said, who can tell me what innate is? And I was like, well, the definition of the word is, you know, you innately understand something. And they're like, no, 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 you don't understand. It's, and I was like, what do you mean I understand? Innate is the body's ability to heal itself from a higher, and they just kind of explained it. And I was like, oh, okay, that's not, not where I was going with that. Um, yeah. So I'm definitely, I guess we were considered back then mixers because we were more medically aligned. Um, not at all, nothing. I've got a lot of great chiropractor friends that, that deliver more of a traditional chiropractic and they get great results and the patients love them. And, you know, yeah. still evidence-based manipulation. But I was always more inclined towards more sports, more rapid recovery, more acute care. Um, I was never more of a maintenance person. I didn't want people coming back to me. I really wanted to get them out of pain, get the range of motion back as quickly as possible, and then teach them things they can do to prevent it from coming back. And then if they got hurt again, they knew where to go. Yeah. Oh, I love that mentality. I love that philosophy. That's fantastic. So when you got out of school, um, you know, what was your practice style like? How did you start practice? You know, for those of you who may not know, you know, with, with chiropractors, we don't have a lot of options coming out of school. You know, the two biggest options are really you work for somebody or you start your own practice. And obviously uh, there's goods and bads with both of those. So what was your decision? Uh, when I graduated, my wife was pregnant and I was broke. So I was, I was grinding for sure. I taught at a technical school, ultrasound technicians, uh, about 20 weeks. So from 5 p.m. to 11 p.m., uh, four or five days a week, taught night classes. And then I worked in another clinic where whatever I brought in, I kept a percentage of. And it was, it was more triathlete based, endurance athletes. And then I worked in the Nightmare PI clinic where I was working in there for somebody else. And at the time it was... He's like, yeah, we'll pay you hourly amount. We just need you eight hours a week. I was like, oh, okay, great, green, you know, very fresh chiropractor, didn't know much better. Uh, it's, it was one of those bad stories where I could have ended up going to jail because he was a he was a, an unlicensed medical doctor from Nigeria. So this sounds like you know a bad story, which it probably was. Sounds like a bad email. Yeah, and and <laughs> and uh, he ended up taking my license and photocopying it and photocopying my signature and putting it on a bunch of different. Oh man. Yeah, so he put a couple of license, long story short. Um, I got a knock on my door from another clinic that I was working in, and it was my front front desk manager came back and said, hey, uh, Dr. Garrett, um, there's somebody up front that needs to see you. And I was like, okay. So he comes back and he introduced himself, and he said, yeah, I'm from the National Insurance Crime Bureau, which is like the FBI for insurance fraud. Oh, I was like, oh, okay. He goes, yeah, I was expecting an overweight um, Nigerian man. I didn't expect a Caucasian guy. And I was like, okay, it's because the guy was – portraying himself as me, um, which wasn't great. He said, you're in big trouble because we've already notified the board that you're practicing in a facility without a facility license, which I didn't know at the time. He said, so yeah, that's a minimum $1,000 a day fine and you've been there for six months. So um, I hope you've contacted an attorney. And I was just terrified because I'm uh, just had a baby, still student loans, I'm freaking out. Uh, How far out of school were you at this point? I was less than a year out. Oh so it was, it was terrifying, like I'm gonna go to jail, this is the worst thing ever. But luckily, he showed me some documents that the guy had made. And I said, no, these are all wrong. These tests don't even correlate for low back. It was like Kemp's test for cervical pain. And just, <laughs> yeah, so insurance fraud, Crime Bureau, FBI for insurance fraud. Uh, I signed a bunch of affidavits. And he said, this is great. We've been trying to nail this guy for years. If you cooperate, we'll go easy on you. And then um, the board contacted me as well. And they came in and opened an investigation. And then they dropped all charges against me. So okay. I didn't... I was afraid to answer my phone for about a year. Every time I saw a number I didn't recognize, I thought it was the cops coming to get me. I was like, oh, hello. But oh my God. nothing ever happened, so I'm good. Uh, they dropped all the charges that he went to jail. So it was, you know, 
a good ending to the story, but it was a terrifying situation for a young chiropractor. Oh my God. I, you're stronger than I am. I'm tightly wound. That would have probably blown me over the edge. I would have been in an insane asylum right now. <laughs> oh my gosh, man, that's scary. So like you personally, I obviously all the legality, all the professional stuff, like I would, I did you go after this doc? Like, did you have a conversation with that guy? Like, I mean, no, I can't imagine your feelings. No, he it wasn't a great part of town. And a lot of the people that I would see him associate with, I probably didn't want to go aggressively confront him. And the fact that he was being arrested, I was like, okay, we'll just let this go. I never even told my wife the entire time because I was, I didn't want to stress her out that I might be going to jail. So that was, I was holding that burden too. It was awful. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's amazing. So where did you move on from there? This is uh, all uh, out around Houston area, you said? Yeah. So Houston area, then I practiced for, I went and did a similar situation where I was a sole provider or individual or uh, independent contractor for another provider, a good friend of mine, just kept a percentage. And I was doing some marketing for myself and I came across this gym where they had these, it was a sports performance center. And I went in and talked to the coach, like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm really good at soft tissue injuries, blah, blah, blah. And he said, no, 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 we got this Arasti guy in here. He said, people come in with ankle sprains, they're on crutches. It looks like an eggplant's black and blue, they can't walk. An hour later, he has them running down the track. Can you do that? And I was like, no, I can't do that. Um, <laughs> so it drove me insane knowing that somebody could do it. And I didn't realize Arasti was a very small company at the time. There's only two people in the company. Um, and so when I investigated it, tried to find out what it was, met with the owner. And he said, yeah, you think you'd be a great fit. And I was like, I don't want a job from you guys. I, just want to know, I want to let you do. If you can do it, I can do it. And he yeah. said, no, just here's a contract. Talk to your wife and uh, we'd love to bring you on. And so, again, being young, dumb and inexperienced, ignorant about how the world worked, I joined a company with no future that had zero chance, pretty much zero chance of being successful. That was massively in debt, owed the IRS $300,000 and then continued to take it over the next several years to $12.5 million in debt. Um, but it was always a great treatment outcome patients were getting better and we're like this is going to work this is going to work a lot of people jump ship early on and now we have about 700 employees uh, we've been debt free for the last three years we're growing we've got about 450 treatment team members so 250 uh, providers another 200 rehab specialists yeah. and uh, we've got a lot of unique relationships with professional sports organizations with insurance carriers with large employers um, doing some unique things in healthcare that that previously hadn't been done wow well, that's amazing. The growth, uh, you know, pretty quickly like that too. So um, you saw, you know, what they were doing uh, and then kind of developed into it, you know, tell people who might be unfamiliar with Erosti, like what, what, what makes them different? Why, why do you think you saw the results you saw? Like, what are they doing that, that other people might not be doing? Yeah, it's not gigantically different from what a lot of, especially rock docs are doing now because a lot of rock docs are very focused on soft tissue. Um, but back in 2004, 2005, it, there weren't a lot of people that were doing manual therapy. Nobody was really talking about fascia. And so we were, we were early adopters. We were actually using kinesio tape in 2004 and 2005, I think before rock tape even started. And then as soon as rock yeah. tape came on the scene, we, we adopted them pretty quickly. And we've been partnered with them for, gosh, probably about a decade now. Um, I think the only difference is we had a model that required everyone to do 30 minutes of one-on-one -on -one with the patient. So from an evaluation and treatment standpoint, hands-on manual therapy, really applying a very focused, pretty aggressive manual therapy, and then immediately followed by 30 minutes of specific exercises for the patient that they could come home, that they could do at home. So it wasn't like we had a bunch of technology that we used in the office that they couldn't do at home. It was stuff that we want people doing, you know, proprioceptive things, foot on the ground, hand in space, make sure that they're really engaging the right muscles to reset the way your, your connective tissue and your nervous system 
I guess, uh, shows you where your body is in pain. And so if you can turn that off with the manual therapy, get them moving better, show them exercises to keep it that way, people get better pretty quickly. So it wasn't anything really super unique. It was just a model that we, we had where we employed providers. It wasn't a seminar. It wasn't a, a 1099 employee or as a franchise. They're all our employees. And so we can give them a good structured environment and then support them like crazy. So how do you kind of systematize that, you know, especially with the expansion and the growth, you know, um, you had mentioned before we started recording about, you know, adding different sorts of certification and education within uh, what we called orientation. Um, I'm curious because, you know, I've always been very small practice minded, uh, you know, never thought about expanding into multiple uh, facilities. So how do you kind of put that in a system and then I guess keep it within a system so that there's continuity from, from place to place. That's a great question. And it really starts with the recruiting effort. So finding providers that want to do this, there's a lot of doctors out there that just want to make a lot of money or just want to treat people a different way. We wanted to find people that were philosophically aligned that wanted to work and be part of a team. And again, chiropractors are entrepreneurial by nature. So it's a little more challenging to find sometimes find people like that. Um, and then give them an environment where they can be really well supported. So everyone that goes through the vetting and recruiting process, which takes somewhere like three to six months, we bring them in, we fly in, we interview with everybody, give a presentation, do a practical. If they get hired, we put them in one of eight training classes a year where they come here, we house them, we feed them, um, and they spend six weeks at our training center here in San Antonio. We've got a 45,000 square foot training center where we teach them to walk them through all our clinical pathways and make sure they fully understand the way we treat, the way we, wanna, the way we see injuries, and the way we want to treat people long term. Uh, then we have a ton of metrics around that as well. So we know from a utilization management standpoint, from an episode cost, every single one of our providers were super data driven and we know how all of them get results from one patient to the next, whether it's shoulder, low back, knee, et cetera. Uh, once they leave here, then they're in 12 more weeks of in-field training where they have a mentor doctor that they work directly with and a regional clinical director that we have in every single major market that is kind of the clinical supervisor for that region. So say for example, Houston, We've got about 50 providers in Houston, and we have two clinical directors that split that up. And during that time, they go out and get a minimum of four uh, evaluations a year with each provider, kind of support visits, coaching, not to catch them doing things wrong, but to help them get better. So everything from the way they assess, the testing that they're doing, the treatment performed, the active care, managing cases, referring. And some of the things that are really important is it's not referring out too soon or not referring out too late. So it's... There's a sweet spot for most providers that if you stay in there, the episode cost is going to be pretty low for the patient. If you are too scared and you send them out for an image too early, well, now their episode cost went up by a thousand bucks or you send them to a specialist too early, went up by another 500 bucks. And now if it's needed, it makes perfect sense. But if you send it out for imaging and specialists before it's needed, you can jack up the cost quite a bit for the patient. And so getting our providers just better at managing cases is an ongoing effort. We have a uh, clinical roundtables that we do four times a year. We have our own CEU courses that all of our providers take that are we pay for for them. And it's open to the public as well. Okay. And then we have annual summits, kind of like Rock Tape does, where we bring all the providers in and we go through additional things that we've learned. So it's anything that we do bring into our company from a treatment standpoint, it starts here with the training process and then it gets pushed out to the field from an implementation process. That's so cool. That's it's such complexity, but also, you know, you, you put it so simply and putting everything together and making sure there's seamless transitions uh, with everything. Are you only using chiropractors? Or are you guys multidisciplinary? 
We do have a few physical therapists as well. The challenge okay. with that is we have unique contracts with carriers and employers that pay us considerably more per visit. Okay. Um, in the two to $300 range per visit is what they pay us on every single visit. Okay. And PTs, because of their licensure, not all the carriers, it's not congruent for them to be part of that. And so right now, UHC and Blue Cross Blue Shield, we have our PTs that have uh, those two carriers where they get paid the same amount. The other ones are, are cash because we can't lower our rates for the public because it's, it'd be a dual uh, dual fee system, which is legal in, in insurance. Wouldn't that also be state by state because different insurance companies are represented a little bit differently state by state? You know, Blue Cross yeah, in it, one state doesn't treat chiropractors the same in another state, right? Yeah, it's gigantically different. Right now, only our PTs are located in, in uh, Texas okay. just because of the logistical hurdles. We're still trying to figure out how to incorporate more PTs. Our PTs are they're fantastic. They're great. They have a great clinical background. They get the same results that our, that our DCs yeah. do. Yeah. What are some of the other barriers? I'm so curious about this. What are some of the other barriers about having that be more multidisciplinary? And maybe use Texas as an example. So Texas, as of September 1st this year, PTs now have direct access. Um, yeah. So the challenge is insurance companies still won't pay most of them okay. um, unless they have a referral from either a DC, MD, DO, et cetera. Okay. And they still can't diagnose in the state of Texas. So they can treat directly for 10 days, 10 business days, which doesn't give you a lot of room. Okay. Um, 15 days if they have a fellowship, like a manual therapy fellowship okay. or orthopedic fellowship. Um, but after those 15 days, 15 business days, then they have to have a referral. So we've, we've created a telemedicine product here. It's where we have a, a telemedicine DC that can work with the PT while they're evaluating a patient and then render a diagnosis. So we've, we found a, a technology way around that. This might be more of a question for the people who determine this stuff, but how do you allow someone to be treated for 10 days direct access and then require a referral? That's this, it seems kind of odd to me. It's almost like working in reverse. Hey, I've treated this person for this long. They're getting better, but now you have to tell, that, tell me that I'm allowed to keep going or something. Like that. <laughs> That's the uh, Texas Medical Association. They <laughs> fought tooth and nail to not give PTs direct access because they like to control that because it's, it's obviously yeah. a lot of control from the medical side. Um, and that was the concession they gave because there was there's 47 or 48 other states that allow direct access. There's no reason why Texas shouldn't. And yeah. so that was the, I guess, the agreement they came up with. Well, we'll let you have direct access, but because you can't diagnose, if there's something bad going on, we need a referral after 10 or 15 days. That's weird. That's so weird because within that 10 days, you probably have to establish some sort of diagnosis. So it's basically just like, what do they put? They put it in quotes or something like that in, in their notes. Yeah. It's so funny you say that too, because I remember maybe a year, year and a half ago, um, and you would know this better since you're, you're uh, more working in Texas, the Texas Medical Association was battling the Texas Chiropractic Association pretty hard. And I actually forget what it was exactly. I think it had to do with diagnostic rights. Yeah, it did. It was the, so there were a couple different things. One was like the Sunshine Act where yeah. if we won, they would guarantee our diagnosing rights for the next, I think, 10 or 15 years. Okay. And the other one was they were trying to, there was a loophole where they were trying to take neuro out of neuromusculoskeletal from a specialist standpoint as a chiropractor. And that way, if they took the neuro out, we could never treat any diagnosis that had anything to do with nerves, which as a chiropractor, that's kind of the foundation of what we do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that one is still <laughs> an ongoing fight. I mean, it's, it's all about power and control. The same reason that they didn't want PTs to have access, the same reason they want to take away from Kairos. 
Wow. It's interesting too. Cause I mean, you know, you and I have talked about this with, with rock tape and, you know, one of the, my favorite things is, is when I teach rock for rock tape, I teach PTs and DCs and massage therapists. And, um, you know, we've even had MDs in, in different courses and stuff like that. And I met a great MD at, at Rockstock that wants to incorporate a lot more of that stuff. And it's like, it's all about getting the patient better. But then when you get into the bureaucracy of all this stuff, you see all these people battling <laughs> and fighting and it's like, wow, geez, we're just trying to help people. It's crazy. Yeah, there's a lot of money and, and power when you talk about healthcare. I mean, it's a yeah. gigantic piece of our economy. So if you if you can control it, you control a lot of things. Yeah, I get it. I'm not ignorant enough to, to totally overlook the business side of things, but it's just something I don't quite understand personally. So. <laughs> Yep. I don't know, but <laughs> I'm curious, you mentioned, you know, uh, before with the Erosti methods and uh, what you guys look to kind of build your system, you don't use a ton of tech, you had said, but I'm curious, is there any kind of technology involved with any of your evaluation processes, some of the stuff that you onboard with? Uh, from the onboarding standpoint, we do have a pretty, pretty robust uh, recruiting department that, that evaluates providers and this is a multi-step process. Interestingly though, from a tech standpoint, we are moving towards having another product that is telemedicine or teletreatment. Okay. Um, so instead of having direct one-on-one access with the patient, where you put your hands on them, there's a lot of things we can do with patients. As you know, I'm sure you have family members or friends across the country like, hey man, I've got this issue with my shoulder. And you're like, hey, try doing this. Yeah. Use this foam roller, do that. And they're like, hey, it worked, it was great. Now you're gonna do these stretches. So we're creating a, because telemedicine is becoming a gigantic thing in the United States, mostly on the primary care side, yeah. but now it's moving into MSK as well. We've created a telemedicine product that we're about to launch, which it's a lot of effort, a lot of technology, finding a way to help patients that can't get to our offices. You know, so we have a lot of employers and carrier relationships that in the middle of Texas where there's nobody around for a hundred miles, it's like, hey, we got these guys out in the oil fields. They have all kinds of back problems, neck problems. Is there anything you can do for them? Like, yeah, as a matter of fact, there is. Um, we can get them some self-myofascial tools. Rock tape has a ton of those. Um, we can get them some, get them moving better, showing some exercises. And generally, if you can just get people to move better, to get them to do some self-myofascial release, they're going to feel better. Their healthcare costs are going to go down. Their productivity is going to go up. You may not fully resolve their condition, or you might, but it's not as good as going to one of to a clinic somewhere. But it's better than nothing. Yeah. So we're working towards that now. Yeah, great point. And you guys have some pretty good relationships. You see kind of uh, everybody. I mean, there's there's <laughs> nothing necessarily that you I, – I, I don't mean this in a bad way. Uh, it's not that you specialize in a certain population. You know, it's not like it's geriatric versus peds. So you guys see a huge variety of different people too. And I guess that's the common theme is everybody just needs to kind of get out and move more. So that's an yeah. interesting product. Yeah. You guys have a, or at least did uh, have a great relationship with CrossFit. Are you guys still working with CrossFit? Yeah. So this will be since 2012, we've been the clinical directors for the CrossFit game. So everything from the non, as long as nobody broke anything, tore anything or some <laughs> seizure, um, we're back behind the scenes working with everybody, all the athletes. So any treatment needs they need, they're all getting rock tape. That's the only tape that we use there. Uh, so all the athletes, if you see them on TV, that's, we have actually a contract with CrossFit that doesn't allow them to use any other tape except for rock tape. So it's a pretty good deal for them, for us. Um, it's been a lot of fun, a lot of changes with CrossFit. They're moving into more of the CrossFit health realm versus just the pure CrossFit games. They're focusing more on getting people to move better, eat better. It's funny, they're actually doing stuff that we talked about in chiral school, our nutrition classes, getting people to move better, being more natural, getting away from sugar, getting away from drugs, pharmaceuticals. Yeah. It's, 
it's interesting that they're now going that direction and they're trying to recruit MDs to do what DCs have been doing forever. It's, uh, it's, totally, <laughs> it's totally weird, but, but actually a pretty good thing. That's great. Yeah. I mean, when you start to see people kind of expanding their scope a little bit, it's nice because I, it's not that it's competition. It's that it's working together. I think it's more opportunity for networking. Oh yeah. Cause right now what Cairo see 10% of the population, 10% yeah. of people seek out chiropractic care. So there's 90% of people that would benefit from what most chiropractors do or most yeah. PTs do, but they just don't because they stick to the, the route that they're used to because they either don't know, they're not informed or they've that story or once you go to a chiropractor you got to go your whole life it's addictive they're going to give you a stroke those kind of things so if we can open up another 90 percent, it'll be so good for our profession yeah i that's a great point too i said i think changing the conditioned thought process uh about you know going to see a chiropractor you know what 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 we do what we don't do and then kind of changing the thought process because yeah 10 percent. that's that that number's got to, i think it's been 10 percent for years too yeah yeah <laughs> So I'm interested to know, you know, from um, your position with clinical development with Arasti, um, when and how did your relationship with Rock Tape really start? Uh, I think it was probably Greg, Greg Vandendries, so who I think recently left. The guy was, the guy's a genius. He's brilliant. He sees a lot of good ideas and then makes them cool, right? So he thinks good products that are out there, improves them, and then just makes them cooler. And that's kind of how the whole Rock Tape thing came along. And then you bring in clinical direct, clinical people like yourself. Uh, like the other clinical people where you can actually make things even better and start creating their own stuff. Mm -hmm. and it just makes it a lot cooler. So rock tape came to us and they said, Hey, I got this rock tape product. It's really good for athletes. I'm like, yeah, we're even using kinesio techs, kinesiology techs, um, AT tape <clears throat> back in the day. I said, and we said, the one thing we really want, if you guys could figure out a way to put our logo on the tape, because then our oh, patients nice. become walking billboards and everyone's going to ask, Oh, that's a rusty tape. Oh, it's yeah. actually rock tape, but Oh, you went to a rusty. And so they said, <laughs> yeah, we can do that. Greg's like, no problem, done. And so he, he was the first one to figure it out. KT Tape tried, but their product fell apart and it wasn't really that good. So we didn't go with them. And then Kinesiology Techs, the original K-Tape, came back and tried to get our business back. But Rock Tape always provided fantastic customer service. It was a cool company to work with. And the tape was the best. Like that was, because we would, we would definitely go with a product that was the best. Mm -hmm. Rock Tape had the best product, best customer support, best pricing, um, allowed us to personalize it. And then they just were just really cool to work with. So. It was a no-brainer for us. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how you build relationships is when you have kind of almost that personal rapport. That's a really cool, interesting thing that I didn't know about other other tape brands is that um, they didn't really have the ability to put logos on it too. N knowing Greg a little bit, I, I feel like he gave you the answer without knowing the answer too. But, <laughs> but yeah, it motivates him. He's like, he's going to find the answer and figure that out as well too. So. <laughs> I, I, forgive me if I missed it. Um, when did you say that? About what, when was that? It must have been late 2000. So probably 2008, 2009 was when we started working with Rock Tape. Okay. So I think like, I think the start of, of it was about 2009, 2010. So you've, you've kind of been with Rock Tape since, since Rock Tape's beginning as well too. Yeah, they were just getting started. And I think, I don't even know how they heard about us, but they, they came to us, came to our headquarters and pitched a great deal and we're like yeah if you can if you can do what you say you can for this price and it's a good product done so it was a home run ever since then that's great so you know as as rock tapes evolved so has rosti have you adopted any other tools uh, other than just the tape into uh, some of the practices yeah we try to keep it pretty simple for most of our patients i mean we highly recommend all the products that you guys have because the more my self myofascial release products you guys can use the better sure. as far as patients not you guys specifically yeah um, we're pretty simple we like small foam rollers to big foam rollers we like them fairly dense pretty hard 
Uh, we feel like that gives patients the most, we're, we're a little more aggressive than some t- soft tissue companies. Sure. Um, but we do recommend the vibrating foam rollers, a little small double lacrosse ball size one. That one's really yeah. good. I love um, those. We're pretty lean when it comes to selling things. We've learned that we're really good at treating. We're good at recommending things. Not very good at selling things. And so we recommend yeah. patients buy things versus actually selling it to them. That's great. Um, that's an interesting uh, thing because a lot of you hear about a lot of practices kind of, you know, supplementing income by uh, selling different products, but that in and of itself, that would create a pretty big headache for you nationally with all of your different uh, practices is try, is try to establish all these seller accounts and try to keep stock as well too. So from a business perspective, is that, you know, fairly safe thing to say that it probably kind of helps you with managing? Yeah, it makes it a little more efficient. We lose an opportunity to make money off that. We actually don't even charge for the tape. I know a lot of providers charge patients. Uh, we go through, I want to say like a million meters of tape a year that we buy and put on patients for free. We feel like it gives a lot of benefit. Um, we feel like it does augment our treatment. It makes patients, it gives patients something to remind them to do. Uh-huh. So from an outcome standpoint, it improves their outcome because now they've got something on there that's tactile stimulation. It reminds them, oh, I got to do my exercise, got to ice. And it gives them support and all the other you know, neuroplastic and other issues that are still being debated. Yeah. Whether or not that's factual, we believe it helps patients. And so we're willing to pay for it, put it on and actually not charge people for it. So if they came to, if the patient comes to us, but they get tape or don't get tape, the price yeah. is exactly the same. But most, almost all of them get tape. Who is the poor soul that had to measure all the tape? <laughs> uh, we've got a guy in facilities that several years ago, it was like, yeah, you know, we go through 250,000 meters of tape a year and we were about a quarter of the size we are now, maybe even yeah. smaller. So it's probably more than a million meters a year. And now we don't even measure it in meters anymore. Now it's, it's just crates. <laughs> <laughs> measured in crates. Yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting when I hear statistics like that, cause I'm like, how do you figure that out? Like, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> arguing statistics. I'm just curious how, how you kind of determine that's that sort of stuff. I think each roll back in the, the, the bigger rolls is like 110 meters. Yeah. Something like that. Or 110 feet. One of those numbers. And then we multiplied that by the boxes and how many oh. boxes were in there and how many we ordered each month and averaged it out. So it was, it was actually so, pretty straightforward math. So math. Yeah, basically. Yeah. I should have thought of that, right? <laughs> so uh, one of the other things that I'm, I'm always so interested in is when I see businesses have multiple practices and you guys are obviously very large now um, and still expanding too. So um, how do you decide where to go from a business perspective? Do you go through a process that tells you, okay, this is a good place for a clinic. This is a good state for a clinic. Where do we want to expand? Because if you look at how you guys expanded, there's seemingly no necessarily necessary pattern. You guys are in, um, I mean, as far east as uh, Ohio, uh, Texas, obviously, Virginia, or I should say Virginia's farther east than Ohio. Yeah. Uh, Washington State or Washington, D.C.? Washington State. Okay, so, so I mean, you know, there's a large patch, patches of the United States where you guys are not located. So it's always curious to see that and go, well, how did you decide on those areas based on the information that you gathered? I'd like to say we're real smart and strategic. Um, we've learned to be better about that because it does take a lot of resources to support a region that far away. You've got to have business development on, on the ground. You have to have clinical development, operations to make sure they're well supported. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that go into opening up a new market. And we have to realize that if we go into a new market, we're probably going to lose a million dollars a year just right off the top. So every new market we go into, we're going to lose a ton of money. We, think, we see it as an investment uh, to, to create more of a brand, to increase the value going forward. But ideally, when we go into any new market going forward, remember I talked about that 90% of patients that most chiros don't see? 
Yeah. That's the population that we want. So we want to have a hospital system relationship because most hospital systems now control most primary care physicians. Um, Texas is still a little bit more wild west where a lot of primary care physicians have their own practice. But say, for example, in Washington state, yeah. 90 plus percent of all family care providers, PCPs are owned by a hospital system. So they have to actually work for a hospital system. So if you don't have a good relationship with that hospital system, you have zero access to those PCPs. So we want a large hospital system, a large carrier, at least one. And now we have relationships of most of them where if we get one on board, the rest of them want to come on because once a large carrier loses a large employer. So say for example, like Boeing up in, uh, in Seattle in Washington, Boeing's got 10,000 employees up there or Amazon has 50,000 employees up there. If they switch to from one carrier, say like Blue Cross to United, because United has us as an MSK solution, a musculoskeletal cost solution for their patient population, for their general employees, that's a gigantic account for an insurance company to lose. They just lost millions of dollars in premiums. Like, oh, why'd you guys switch? Well, you guys didn't have an MSK solution. Rossi comes in, they've got 30 providers up here. They can lower our healthcare costs by $500,000 next year. Can you do that? No, we can't. We need a Rosti. And so then they bring a Rosti on, but it opens up the access to the patients that normally don't see chiropractors. And so the patient population we see is actually the 90% that typically don't go to chiropractors. It's a, it's a different model, but it's a much more beneficial model for the general population. Wow. That's so fascinating to see that. It's just, again, stuff that is just way over my head. Maybe it's on me <laughs> for not caring too much about stuff like that, to be perfectly honest with you, but it's fascinating to see that too. How, you know, from your perspective and, you know, even if it's, you know, if you're talking to someone who plans on having just one individual practice, um, you know, very low, uh, low cost, maybe them, one other doctor possibly, since you mentioned that too, working within hospital systems, many MDs in most states tend to be belonging to a hospital system. From say a musculoskeletal practitioner's perspective, what's a good way to network and try to gain a better relationship within those hospital systems? Well, networking is the key, the key word there. So as you know, no matter who they are, it doesn't matter how good you are as an individual provider. If people don't like you, if they don't like to have a relationship with you, if they don't see you as a friend, someone that they like to hang out with, or someone that they truly trust, doesn't matter how good you are, you're never going to get a referral from them. So you've got to find some venue where you can get one-on-one -on -one interaction with them, where they can understand what you do, and then prove yourself. Say, hey, you know, hey, I, I know everyone says they're really good. Everyone says they're good treating patients, they get them better faster, test me out, send me your hardest case. I will take care of them. I'll send them back to you. They will come back to you and tell you. I won't, it won't be me telling you, but let's open up an opportunity. So bring them lunch, go and do a lunch and learn at their office, educate their staff, find some way to get in with them that you have a good relationship and it doesn't feel salesy. You're not dropping off a flyer or a card. Cause it, you know how many people will drop off a flyer or a card or a primary care physician? Everybody, they take it and they throw it right in the trash. Like, I don't know this guy away but if you have a relationship now they're going to refer to you and you got to be consistent so don't think i had a great meeting and they really liked me it was good they sent me a patient great next week they're going to go back to all their normal habits and forget all about you so you've got to be present constantly um, you got to find ways to interact with them socially if they're if there's something going on with their you know if you play the same sport if their kids play the same sport find a way to have a genuine relationship and don't force it so it, it's there's a lot of ways to get patients quickly it's much harder and slower, but much more beneficial to develop long-term relationships that actually grow versus be real aggressive and, and very salesy, which I think a lot of chiros make the mistake. I agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. What are some of the biggest difficulties that you see with a, a networking process like that? 
not believing we can do what we do or not only that, but they've also got their own relationships already set up. So if they've had a relationship with a physical therapist, chiropractor, whoever it is for years, they're probably going to keep using that because they have a good relationship, especially if they're not doing bad care or bad service. And so you've got, if that's the case, you have to realize this may not be the opportunity right now. I may have to win them over over time and use your resources somewhere else in the meantime. That's a great point. Yeah. And it's not uh, a bad idea to keep them in mind and maybe, maybe six months, year later, reconnect with them and see, are they still using the same person? So yeah. there's, there's always an opportunity there. You just kind of have to keep going for it as well. So really cool stuff. So what's, uh, what's in the future for Rosti? What, uh, what are some of the things you guys are looking to do? You talked about some of the tech that you guys are putting out. Are you still expanding? We are. And that's actually our biggest challenge right now is finding like-minded providers that want to work inside a team like this. And so if you know of anybody that, that wants to come work for us or wants a really good pay, great, great support, 401, I mean, all the things that most chiropractors don't have. So you know, sure. HR services, insurance, 401k, tons of support, clothing allowance. We, we offer a lot of things that most chiros, well, actually no other chiro groups do. Yeah. Um, but again, it's being part of a team, being part of an organization, which sometimes that's a little hard for people to swallow. But yeah. if you're looking for a good place to start, this is, a, this is a great place for you. That's Yeah, that's a great thing too. Like I said a little earlier, there's really not that many options for coming out as a chiropractor and, and they're rough. I, I've, I've been through both of them, honestly. As I, <laughs> I was an associate and I had a terrible experience. And then, you know, my wife graduated and we started our own practice and then running your own business while trying to be a good doctor can be very difficult. So um, that's, that was another thing I was going to ask you about, you know, all the front desk logistics, HR, you know, even the billing stuff like that, you know, working for you guys, that's, that's a different department, right? Oh yeah. It's all completely taken care of. All you have, all you have to do is deliver great care and build your practice. So you don't have to worry about all the headaches of the hiring, firing and staffing insurance. Plus you have a guaranteed income. So if you, <laughs> you know, if you have a bad month, we have a lot of providers that for whatever reason, they, there's a health issue or, you know, for example, remember Hurricane Harvey two years ago in Houston? So yeah. that had a gigantic impact on us. You know, the wow. whole city of Houston was shut down for a week and it took a lot of our practices. So you got 50 practices out there that aren't bringing in any revenue whatsoever. So they get a percentage of what they bring in. We went ahead because, because of our size and the fact that we had enough support to cover them, we paid them as if they were full during the entire time. So we, we took a huge loss from a company standpoint, but we see it as a value because we really – you know, there's no non-competes. There's, there's no, uh, sure. besides the very minimum ones, there's no, you don't have to, there's no right to hire, right to fire. You can leave whenever you want. You're not contractually obligated. So we want to create an environment where people don't want to leave. So we try to do things to, to really take care of and protect and support our providers and all of our employees, even the billing and the, the insurance people as well. That I love. I love hearing about any company that is actually putting their employees on a very high level because then I want to be a customer because then I know dealing with this, those employees, it's going to be a nice experience too. You know, that's why I fly the airlines that I fly. It's why I use certain products that because I know they, you know, they take care of their people because I have to deal with those people. Right. Yeah. yeah definitely. That's why Southwest is usually a good airline. There you go. Yeah. 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 Um, so where are you originally from? Are you from South Carolina or Texas originally? Uh, I grew up in the Air Force, so California, oh. South Dakota, North Dakota, Ohio, Guam, uh, kind of all over the place. I went to, I went to South Carolina except I played college soccer out there. Yeah. And then when I graduated, I came back to Texas where I graduated high school. And that's why nice. I picked that place because I knew people there. So I have a question. Do you ever get mistaken for the Cowboys head coach? Yeah, pretty frequently. <laughs> Actually, about 
Well, not in person, but um, obviously when I called, make a reservation, like, oh, oh, the Cowboys are in town. That's Jason Garrett. Maybe it's him. So people are very, dis- yeah, they're disappointed when they meet me. Do you get better um, tables? Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's funny. So 10 years ago, actually, it might have been 11 years ago, I was playing in a golf tournament with a radio host. And he's a sports talk radio guy here in San Antonio. He's actually on the SEC network now, Peter Burns. And uh, he said, yeah, I saw I was playing with Jason Garrett. And it was before the season started. He was like, yeah, I got excited. And then I saw it wasn't him. And I told him what I did. And he's like, oh, that's pretty cool. You want to be on the radio tomorrow? I was like, yeah, sounds great. And so I went on the next day. It was a sports talk radio thing. Made him laugh. Talked about Tiger Woods and some other people. And they're like, yeah, all right, we'll talk to you next week. And so since then, I've been on every Wednesday for the last 11 <laughs> years as part of, wow. part of their – and it's the number one talk radio San Antonio, um, sports talk radio show in San Antonio. And then it turned into an ESPN, a local ESPN opportunity as well. So I do a couple of radio shows but it was really my name that got me the opportunity. And then once you get there, you just have to prove yourself. <laughs> that's, that's just a perfect example of what you said just a little bit earlier is just you got to get out there. You got to meet people. And I honestly felt the best marketing tactic is to just meet people. Like you said, let them know who you are. You know, if yeah. people can smell a sale mile away. Just, just be you. And then when people find out what you do and they like you, they'll be like, hey, something's going on with me. Can you take a look at me? Something, something like that, right? Yep. Just wait for the opportunity. Be genuine. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, tell us a little bit, Jason, as we start to wrap up, you know, what's, what's your day to day, you know, um, are you, are you still treating actually? I treat very infrequently. Um, usually it's more if there's a unique opportunity with with sports organizations. You're traveling probably quite a bit with what you're doing, right? I used to travel a lot. Um, now that we have clinical directors in every region, I don't have to travel much. Okay. And so primarily I support our training staff. So all the ones are out there right now behind this door, training our newest training class and our newest uh, rehab specialist class. Um, I work a lot with our CEO, our finance department, our business development, kind of the clinical liaison to make sure that everything they cook up makes sense from a clinical standpoint. Yeah. And then <clears throat> what's kind of unique about us as well is we have a leadership doctor, and a leadership rehab group. So they're all the ones that are out actually practicing. It's so all the great ideas we come up with here that could be a disaster for them. Mm-hmm. Is we never implement or try to add anything without running it through them first. So we get together okay. with them quarterly and annually to make sure that, hey, hey, we got some really good ideas. What do you guys think? And they can say, no, you guys are idiots. That will never work. Or they're like, oh, that's great. This is really good. Uh, so we're still very treatment team, very provider supportive. Make sure that anything we do here doesn't disrupt their ability to the ability to deliver great care. That's awesome. That's uh, such, sounds like such a great place to work and be a patient at. So reiterate, you know, where are you guys located? If anybody's looking for care or if there's any, you know, docs that are out there looking for uh, a great place to, to start working uh, as they get out of school. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Virginia. So all over Virginia, all over Ohio, primarily Cincinnati, uh, Columbus and Dayton. And then every major Texas market, plus a lot of the smaller ones as well. And then Seattle. So all of Seattle, as well as um, Olympia in Washington is where we're located right now. So lots of opportunities. Um, we, we really are a great place to work. If you can, you can look up online, look at the reviews, look at Glassdoor. Uh, we won Best Place to Work in Texas several years in a row. Best Place to Work in uh, Virginia as well. So that's great. We continue to grow. And, and the reason we get that is it's purely anonymous uh, employee feedback. So we didn't treat people well. We, we definitely wouldn't win that. That's a good point. Great point. Yeah. Those are more genuine uh, uh, metrics, I guess you could say too. Yeah. So how could someone reach out? Uh, obviously uh, the website, uh, any social media that anybody needs to know about to kind of get a hold of Rossi? 
Yeah, our Facebook site, just Arosti um, Facebook, Arosti Twitter. If you just type in either one of those, Arosti, into a search engine, you'll find tons of information. And it's A-I-R-R-O-S-T-I.com. Uh, our website, especially our, our Facebook page, we offer a ton of free information for the general population, for other providers, just you know, different things from tech neck to low back issues to plantar fasciitis. A lot of things people can do just as a, a service for people that if they don't need to necessarily get come in for treatment, they can manage things on their own. So we try to offer lots to the public. Yeah, and uh, this is more of a personal thing for me, just looking at your website. You have a really nice, clean website too. You know, in this day and age, with with all the tech that we have, it's actually very nice to be able to see so many options on a website like that. So I commend you guys for, for that. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Me personally, I really enjoy that. So yeah, I have no, I have no idea how that stuff works. That's all. I'm <laughs> Fantastic. So uh, definitely check out uh, arasti.com, uh, recent blog posts, you know, any kind of spreading of knowledge is, is fantastic. You know, if you're a CrossFit athlete, they have a great relationship uh, with CrossFit, uh, CrossFit, excuse me, uh, take a look at uh, some of the different Arasti uh, athletes that are out there and then the different locations. Uh, Jason, you personally, how could someone get a hold of you if they had more questions? Uh, really easy. Just email me. It's uh, mine's super simple. I'm one of the original ones. It's just jason at arasti.com. Oh, that's my, that's my email address. <laughs> Super simple. Fantastic. So uh, what's in the future for you? Anything uh, coming up that you want to tell anybody about? Uh, nothing major. I'm going to Aspen in a couple of weeks. I was in rock tape with you guys. Yeah. That, that was a really great seminar. You did a great job. Good job uh, lecturing out there. Oh, thank you so much. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, nothing, nothing, nothing crazy going on. We're just continuing to grow and try to support all our treatment teams. That's great. It's good to kind of calm down towards the end of the year, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, awesome. Definitely check out Jason. Uh, send him an email if you have any questions about business development, you know, different practices. If you have any specific questions about Arosti, definitely check out Arosti.com, their Facebook page. Um, and, you know, look into what you guys are doing. You know, I think Arosti sets a really good example of what uh, larger practices could, uh, could really do or can really do. And, uh, you know, one of the Great reasons why we have a good relationship with you and Rock Tape, Rock Tape and, and Arosti. So, Jason, thank you so much for thank taking you. the time, man. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you.